0: What is up guys? Welcome to episode 46 of the Triage Method podcast. I hope you're all well. I'm here with Paddy Farrell and today we're going to be talking a little bit about shoes from a fashion perspective of course. Is that right Paddy?
1: Yeah 100% and um, we are going to be talking about all the latest fashions in shoes because we have actually got a sponsor, a shoe sponsor. So what we are going to do from now on is pollute this channel with absolute (laughs) stupidity regarding what shoe fashion you should get. No, anyway, uh, what we're actually going to do is discuss shoes. We are actually going to discuss shoes, but we're actually going to discuss shoes in the context of what shoes you should wear to the gym, what shoes you should wear in your daily life, and not going to be like oh you need to buy a nike earmax uh fucking whatever what we're talking about more so is how your foot is actually designed to move and myself and gary were talking about this just before we went live and basically although we're probably going to say it a few times and yeah we're probably going to say it a few times like saying like oh this is the way your foot is designed to move or whatever realize that humans are adaptable and if you shove your foot into a pointy stiletto shoe whatever the fuck uh your foot will adapt to that you know so you can wear that if you want that doesn't mean that it's not going to come with consequences but know that everything we say comes with the context that humans are very adaptable so you you will adapt to whatever the fuck you're doing (laughs) anyway Gary so to start this off what we want or what we need is a basic understanding of The foot itself, right? So I want you to spit straight fire now and tell me how the foot works, how the foot moves, and what I should essentially expect from my foot. Like, what should my foot be able to do?
0: Yeah. So, firstly, you touched on an important point that I do want people to keep in mind. And I'm going to reiterate it before I say all this stuff, just because I think it's helpful. Like, when we talk about what something should do, we have to recognize that just because something might do that, at, like based on our arbitrary standard, it doesn't mean that any deviation from that is inherently, you know, indicative of pathology or something being wrong that you need to fix. Okay. So that, that's the first thing. Um, but, for, but from there, you know, a lot of people probably think of the foot as something that's just at the end of their leg that doesn't really move probably because, you know, it doesn't for them maybe, um, but the foot is actually, you know, supposed to to move if you will okay so there's lots of different joints um within the toes between the toes and the bones of the foot the longer bones the smaller bones tons of bones in there all of which kind of articulate against each other a lot of different intrinsic muscles that are in there kind of pulling on all the different segments so you know your toes are, are going to be able to move into flexion meaning they move down they're going to move up they're going to move side to side that's essentially the way the joints function you know you, you'll you have heard about things like the arch so you know you, you'll know that there are some arches in the foot and they're sort of going to move up and down again in line with the musculature and in line with you know absorbing forces which again is supported by different fascial systems within the foot as well. So you've got all of these different things that are going on and you can go into lots of detail trying to break down each individual joint, you know, worrying about, you know, what way does the, the talus move? And, you know, what sort of degree of navicular drop do I have? And there are lots of specifics and there are lots of things like, you know, the windlass mechanism and, and you can have supination of the foot, you can have supronation of the foot, which are combinations in and of themselves of movements of the arches, of abduction and abduction of the feet, abduction and adduction rather. So what you could see is that there is a lot going on, okay? But I think what's more important to to, to focus on is the fact that there are movements there, so the arch is you know naturally going to move up and down the toes are going to move side to side um you know the fo- the forefoot is going to move left and right relative to the the midfoot you know the the calcaneus the heel bone is going to move left and right so you've got all these different things that are going on within the foot which is obviously understandable considering like humans have pretty much forever been walking around, you know, on uneven surfaces on different terrains without shoes that are built to support an arbitrary foot position. So what you will see in more recent years is that, you know, we've got all these fancy running shoes and stuff that have these inbuilt arches and different supports to kind of hold the foot in one position. And if you think about the way we have essentially evolved, you know, walking barefoot a lot of the time on these uneven surfaces, we're essentially, taking away the movement and saying, this is the perfect position. So let's kind of hold things there. And that, you know, that mightn't be ideal, especially if you're doing it all the time. But again, it depends on who you are and what you're actually striving to achieve. And the other thing before we move on, or before we move on to any other discussion, is that while while you can look at the foot anatomy and the foot and move, foot movements, we also have to recognize that the ankle is involved there as well. So when we talk about the ankle, we're actually talking about two separate joints. Um, so so at one joint, you've got movements of inversion and eversion, um, which means the foot is essentially um, turning over on itself as if you're turning your palm up and down. Okay, You can think of it very simply like that. Um, so that's why you're able to move your foot a little to the left and a little to the right where you're the, so, the sole of your foot facing in and the sole of your foot facing out. So you've got those movements at one joint and then at the other joint, you've got plantar flexion and dorsiflexion. And that's essentially the movement of the foot up and down. Um, as if you're doing like a calf raise or pulling your foot up towards you. So, you know, that's, that's an overview of all the different things that are going on. So basically to recap, you've got movements within the joints that are within the foot. So the different tarsal bones, and you've got movements of the the metatarsal bones, and you've got movements of the, the phalangeal joints so the the actual joints within the toes so you've got all these different things that are going on you've got arches moving up and down you've got the ankle moving so what you can see is that there is a, a dynamic nature there so it it is supposed to be you know permissive of some movement even if those movements aren't very obvious to us particularly because they're locked away in in shoes a lot of the time and um, so like i mean if you wanted to to give yourself some arbitrary standards to say like oh, what should my foot be able to do? Like being able to kind of spread your toes, being able to move them up and down somewhat individually, and being able to lift the big toe independently and put it back down, being able to lift the other toes independently and put them back down, and being able to flatten and uh, increase the height of your arch again. If you can do those different things, like you're you're pretty on the ball in terms of having a quote-unquote good functioning foot. However, before we go any further, I do want to... Sort of be very clear as well that it's it's very easy to become dogmatic to the to uh, um dogmatic on this stuff. So there's lots of businesses that are literally based solely on putting out information related to the foot and blaming all musculoskeletal problems in the knee, hip, uh, spine, even the shoulder on the foot, and even to the point where people will say, you know, problems in the fascia and the foot are giving you problems in your shoulders and all this. Sort of stuff, and what I don't, what I want you to take away from this podcast is a more sort of, I guess, moderate, um, moderate conservative view towards the role of the foot, as opposed to going away and thinking, oh, a triage guy said that uh, the foot's really important, so now I'm going to be the foot guy. It's like that's that's not what we're talking about. We don't want anyone to ever get any any bit dogmatic about any joints Like the, all of the joints are important, um, and yeah, while there are, they they do function together and influence each other. I don't want you to go away and become that foot guy. Okay,
1: that sounds fucking like some sort of foot fetish. You know, some freak, like I don't know. This is it's getting it sounds like it's going a bit down a real and I have a, a real weird fucking road now.
0: <laughs> I have, I have, I have a friend, Brendan Ryan, um, and I have to call him my friend because otherwise it sounds like I'm slating him. But Brendan, if you're listening to this, he messaged me last week, and um, something to do. Like I think I was wearing some sort of shoes, and he was like, "Oh, I'd love to. I'd love to." uh, like feel feel your feet and i i I'd make such a difference if i just got got a bit of a fondle with your feet or something like that and i was like dude i know you're a physio but you realize how weird this sounds like you t- you want to touch my feet no one is touching my feet
1: yeah that's pretty 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 weird but look it is 2019 now yeah, so respect everybody like <laughs> yep. that's that's a yeah you, should be, you shouldn't even mention this. you know you're actually a bigot we're actually both bigots for even bringing that up but anyway so <laughs> the foot should be able to move right and as you said there is to some extent some sort of arbitrary standard that we're putting on this because like we were discussing before the podcast like there are say you know tribes of uh, the amazon and stuff and you can like uh, google pictures of their feet and their feet are adapted to the environment that they're in you know so they're walking around barefoot but they're also using their feet to climb trees you know, so like daily, you know, so their feet are adapted to that. And you can look it up, it's completely different to what you would think a foot is supposed to look like. Right. So as we were saying, and as Gary said, again, like your foot is adaptable, just because you aren't able to do like wiggle your big toe up and down doesn't mean that there is some sort of pathology. It doesn't mean that your sore knee is because you can't spread your toes. It doesn't mean that you're your, your shoulder pain is because you know you have fallen arches like you know it, it doesn't mean that right so that doesn't necessarily mean that it can't mean that like uh, i'm sure it, like th- that is the case that you could have a fallen arch on your right foot and it causes you to have a, an elevated left shoulder because you are always tilted off to the left hand side and it's causing you pain in your trap like that physically could happen cool right that's not the vast majority of people right um so i understand that that's hard to kind of fully grasp because basically we're saying it yeah it could be and it could not be but realistically who the fuck knows um, <laughs> but the foot
0: I'm saying j- just ignore that thought process. <laughs> just just ignore that thought process. Yeah, like like,
1: yeah pretty much. Um, <laughs> but your foot is very adaptable. It'll pretty much acclimatize to the environment you put it in, right? And this is why you do see people who wear, like, say, minimalist shoes are like, oh, they're the best thing ever. And people who don't wear minimalist shoes are like, yeah, I don't really care that much. Because... Your foot isn't adapting to the environment as long as you're not feeling pain your foot's not going to give you some sort of signal and go oh uh, i would actually really much prefer to be able to spread out in this this toe box here in this shoe you know it's not going to send you that signal right so what you're left to do is use footwear to your advantage when and where you need it right but then also realize that certain footwear Comes with certain disadvantages. So essentially, what you're going to do is play the risk to reward ratio in your head and go and understand what you're getting and when you're getting it and what that does as a consequence, right? And this plays out very easily. And it's something that you've seen a lot in the fitness industry previously, although it's to some extent the arguments are kind of coming back a bit. But anyway, regardless, so what we'll touch on first is squatting, Gary, right? So you're going to the gym. This is this is the this is the one of the issues with footwear, or one of the issues that can be solved with footwear, right? You're going to the gym. You're squatting. You see, some people are wearing, you know, Vans or very flat-soled shoes. Some some aren't even wearing shoes at all; they're just barefoot, right? And some people are wearing Olympic lifting shoes. You know, some people are even raising the heel further with like a wedge or something. So. Obviously that's related to the footwear that we're wearing. So should I wear no shoes? Should I wear vans? Should I wear a, Olympic lifting shoes? Like what problem what, why are people switching out their footwear based on this exercise?
0: Yeah, so I suppose <clears throat> the first thing to think about when you're thinking about shoes for squatting is, is what you're trying to achieve. So you're trying to, you know, put as much force through the floor as possible so that you can lift a weight. Okay. So, so as, as the load comes down on you, you need to oppose that force. And if you're, let's say losing lots of force because you're wobbling left and right on your, on your shoes and you're feeling like really unstable, then that's probably not a good, um, a good way of going about things. And that's one of the reasons, you know, people will recommend against using like very thick soled running shoes, um, because your foot can kind of be like, putting pressure on one area and then you kind of move a little bit to another area. Um, But again, that's sort of hypothetical based on what you, what you might expect to go to happen. And while some people do experience that, uh, that sort of phenomenon where they're like, Oh God, I don't feel comfortable squatting in those really thick sole shoes. You know, our friend Lachlan Gannon, who is probably one of the strongest people I know squats in Essex and <laughs> he does just fine. So, I mean, it's not a, it's not a,
1: Yeah, but like, let's, let's be honest, the chap's mutant. Like,
0: yeah, he's literally he's literally a mutant. And to be honest, when you are that heavy and you're lifting loads that heavy, any cushioning is probably just disappearing anyway. Yeah, so. like realistically,
1: if you look at his if you look at his squats, right, they look absolutely sexual, right? Like I, I get somewhat aroused while watching them. Um, but if you actually look at his shoes, like even though he's wearing Asics, yeah, you're like cool, right? He's wearing like a rubbery, squishy dick-soled shoe and everyone's like oh no 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 you shouldn't do that for squatting like every squatting purist is like no 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 powerlifters are like no 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 olympic lift is like no 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 most bodybuilders are like no 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 so you basically like everyone's saying no 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 if you look at his squats first of all they are perfect second of all if you look at his assics while he's doing them every single millimeter of squish is squished out of them (laughs) like they're proper they're proper they are thin-soled shoes once he loads up that bar (laughs) you know so it it doesn't make make a huge difference like any fucking nano particle of air that's in there is squished out
0: (laughs) but yeah like and to be honest like this is something i've actually thought about a lot in relation to like the feet and squatting because like I think it's very easy to become super dogmatic on either end of the spectrum in that like i know people that are very interested in the feet like they want to see as much pronation and foot movement during a squat as possible because they're like oh you know you need to you need to use the movements of the foot that are available and all that and it's like all right i kind of see where you're coming from and then you have people on the other end of the spectrum and i I think i hold these beliefs a lot of the time where you want to keep the foot stable and um, you know you want to support the arch you want to really grip the floor with your foot try and keep that stable so that you can transmit transmit as much force um as possible back upwards and like i think you can you can make both of those cases and come to a kind of happy medium where you know like a lot of the time if your foot pronates at the bottom of the squat which is essentially like for people that aren't familiar with that terminology just means that like when your foot goes flat all right so your foot kind of turns in on itself and goes flat you see that happen a lot of the time and it's often sort of claimed that that's maybe going to lead to injury or that it's a bad thing or that's something that that you need to avoid um and while i think that's a good thing to to maybe teach from a technique perspective i don't think it's it's necessarily that important either because you could also make the case that if you come into pronation then you're also able to like if your arch collapses a little bit, you're able to use the so-called windlass mechanism. You're able to use that little bit of a spring that you get off that medial arch to then kind of kick you back up into a normal foot position, which also transmits force back into plantar flexion and hence up to the system, which is required for you to actually create the forces to move the weight in a squat. Um, But then, so, so you, you can make that case and I think that's a very fair case. So I don't think there's any there's necessarily any totally you know correct answer as to what position your foot should be in an in a squat and i think it's far better for people to recognize that you know there are there are multiple positions that might be fine some some elite squatters squat with you know perfectly perfect uh perfectly supported arches let's say some people will have insoles in their weightlifting shoes and they do just fine you know other squatters will squat barefoot and they'll allow their foot to go flat and that's fine like the point is that as we said at the beginning of the podcast humans are adaptable and there isn't necessarily just one position that's going to be best um but, but yeah i suppose th- that's just a point to make on that one um and, and having said that then that sort of does inform our footwear choices a little bit um because like as we said all right running shoes like thick sole running shoes probably aren't the best option um in general i think a shoe that has as much surface area on the floor as possible is a good idea. Okay, so you want that solid, stable base of support um, on the ground. And you, you'll often have that on a weightlifting shoe, for example. It, it's not just the heel elevation on a weightlifting shoe. It's also the really flat, solid um, base that you've got with the floor that feels like you're just kind of locked there. And people generally like that. And that's kind of similar to Vans as well. Some people are, will wear Vans or Converse, and like they're a fine option as well. Um, what you don't want is is like fashion-y shoes that are like real curved bottoms and you're kind of going forward and back and side to side. It's like that's probably not going to be ideal. So if that if there was one cur- one sort of criterion that you definitely want to meet, it's having stability on the floor. So you're having a, a, a some sort of flat sole. Um, and I'm talking about the sole as in the bottom of the shoe, not necessarily the inside of the shoe um, just yet. And when it comes to the weightlifting shoe discussion, that that it does go a little bit further and that we're also looking at the elevation of the heel and the elevation of the heel serves to essentially like at, at the end output is you generally being able to stay a little bit more upright um between there and the end output you're, you're you're essentially trying to some people use it to target the quads a little bit more because you can get into deeper knee flexion and the, the reason that this essentially works is because when you elevate your heel you put your ankle into plantar flexion to start with. And if you are in plantar flexion to start with at the top of the squat, then that means that you have more dorsiflexion range through which you can work as you come to the bottom of the squat. So that means that when going from A to B, more of the range, the range of motion in each or in the joints within the system can come from dorsiflexion. And that allows the knee to travel further forward, meaning, you can stay more upright and generally you can get into deeper knee flexion, um, which is a, a pretty good option for quadricep development or someone that's looking to stay as upright as possible. For example, for weightlifting purposes, if you can beat the, the clean and jerk of the snatch. Um, so there are some of the benefits there. Um, just that. that that cover a couple of things yeah that that, that kind of gets people
1: thinking about it so basically what you're saying is whatever your shoe choice for the squat at least whatever your shoe choice or no shoe choice in the case of barefoot you are looking to have a nice solid surface area at the bottom you know and this again why people generally trend towards i suppose tend towards like something like vans because they do have that kind of rubber sole but it's a very nice flat thick rubber sole at the bottom that you know essentially glues you to the ground right and the same with weightlifting shoes you have that nice flat thick uh large surface area that again keeps you glued to the ground and obviously some weightlifting shoes are better for this than others but that's the general overall thing so that's what you want because you want to be able to put force into the ground you want to essentially be one with the ground right um then the discussion of how you are squatting and essentially the depth argument comes into it excuse me and for something like vans they might be fine if you are doing something like a a lower bar squat or you're doing a squat that you're just stopping at parallel or even if you are doing a very deep squat if you have good uh, dorsiflexion yeah dorsiflexion of the ankle uh you might be able to get away with not needing that Uh, elevation of the heel you know so for you they could be perfect depending on what you're trying to do depending on how you squat right same with the weightlifting shoe like they might be a terrible option for you if you you know stop a parallel they might be pitching you forward you're staying too upright almost in that starting position that kind of half of the squat like the parallel uh they might be bad for you but if you have a have poor dorsiflexion and yeah yeah, poor dorsiflexion and you are only stopped and you are going deep you know they might be exactly what you need so basically what you you need to do with your your overall squat is understand why you are squatting what's the purpose of it are you trying to do it for like hypertrophic purposes are you trying to do it for purely strength purposes are you trying to do it to improve athletic performance what are you actually trying to do with that movement and then you have to assess your individual mechanics for that and we've discussed this on a previous podcast we've discussed like the squat and stuff you know um so you need to discuss you need to look at that and go yeah that's what i'm trying to achieve and then you need to look at your footwear and go right this is how my foot should be moving in a general sense of the 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 word and this is how it should be moving in this exercise so what limitations do i have and what what am i going to get the best out of you know like personally i always used to squat in weightlifting shoes because you know i was like they're a nice solid base they're a nice strong solid base the heel elevation i didn't really need it i have really good dorsiflexion uh, like i'm pretty much hypermobile in all of my joints um but i have really good dorsiflexion so i didn't really need the heel elevation i can get i can get full depth without it you know even like i am quite tall um but what i was finding with the, the heel elevation and i like, think again like i've got my squat up pretty strong wearing weightlifting shoes it was kind of pitching me too far forward, right? You know, like my, my hips would always shoot up first when I was coming up and then my upper body would would come, would come up, right? And I've just ditched the weightlifting shoes and I'm just barefoot now and I'm able to still stay upright, but I don't get that pitching forward when I squat, right? So what I'm trying to say is this whole discussion is both a theoretical one where you, you think through what you may need but at the end of the day you need to kind of go out and actually practice this stuff you know like you actually need to go out and see okay well like how do like yeah okay cool I've looked at myself I've seen like I move like this but what does it actually feel like for me and how do how does my body respond to these changes in you know joints and the joint angles and you know the my ability to actually put force into the ground right so basically what we're saying or what I'm saying anyway is try out a few of them See what happens, and yes, you need to think about it beforehand and see you know, would I be better off barefoot? Would I be better off with something like a a van, or would I be better off with a a heel elevation? Right? And just have a think about it and then try it out, you know, which is a little bit harder to do because you have to like borrow weightlifting shoes or whatever, but you should be able to see how that affects you, even by just putting you know a, a plate underneath your heel to see how the heel elevation affects you, right? So I think that's cool with the squat. Basically, you have a think about it, see, address what you think may be limiting for you, and then move on from there. Right. Then the next one, then the deadlift, because this is one that you also see people kind of shit in the bed in a similar manner to the squat. They'll wear like kind of those squishy shoes, like an Asics or something, and they won't be able to put the force into the ground. You can see them kind of tipping forward and back in the shoe as they're trying to lift the weight. Right. So for the deadlift. Generally, you'll see people wear very minimalist shoes, right? But then you also hear people saying like the squat and the deadlift pretty much work the same muscles. And if you look at them like more objectively, especially conventional deadlift, uh, they kind of look like they're in the same position to start. So why why don't the majority of people wear weightlifting shoes for deadlifts, right? Now I know obviously Olympic lifters do when they're doing like a, a clean pull, uh, but. What, what's the story there so how should we be thinking about our, our, our footwear for the deadlift
0: okay so firstly one point to backtrack on just very quickly um it's it, it's a point related to the the squat shoes because you know people often say you know squat shoes allow you to get deeper in a squat yeah or, or having more dorsiflexion allow you to get deeper in a squat and that's true but it actually depends on how you define depth because this is something i actually think misleads people in powerlifting sometimes um, and it's not something I've heard voiced but if if you think about like what depth is um in powerlifting it's essentially the ability to get your the, essentially the, the crease of your hips down below your knee pretty much and um, so you want to get it's about get the point the end point that your hip goes to relative to your knee and if you use squat shoes for powerlifting in order to get more dorsiflexion f- for every bit forward that your knee goes it also goes down So because the way that your knee, like anterior tibial translation or the knee going forward, as that happens, it goes down because it's hinging at the ankle joint. Mm -hmm. So as that knee goes down, that means your hip also has to reach a lower point than it would have had the knee been in less dorsiflexion. So it's not Mm -hmm. always the case that, you know, squat shoes just make it much easier to hit actual powerlifting depth because, If your knees can just go forward a ridiculous amount then it can get to the point where it's really 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 difficult to get your hips down below your knee because especially if you have like really thick thighs and thick calves unlikely um that thigh calf contact contact can actually limit you from getting that hip down below and you'll see that sometimes if you watch weightlifters um who have a really upright squat you're like oh my god that squat depth is insane but then when you actually look at it from side on you're like God, I actually don't know if that would have passed in a powerlifting competition. So that's something that's worth thinking about. And then that brings us and on you to just, just on that. The you can see stuff
1: that stuff. as well in like uh, some of the the smaller Asian lifters, the more mobile ones. Like you'll see them like catch a a yeah. usually it's a clean. Like uh, but you'll see them even in the, in the snatch as well. Like you'll see them basically have their ass on the ground but if you look at where their knee is in relation to that like if you're thinking of like a powerlifting squat you would think like the knee would be almost closer to the chest right but it's not it's like almost closer to the ground in front of them like their knees are just way 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 forward and they're like you're you're almost in disbelief how a leg can move that way but they just have ridiculous dorsiflexion you know uh, yeah, dorsiflexion. I always get the two mixed up, so I have to always think about it. Uh, so what you're saying basically is you could have you, you basically have to look at the hip and the knee and the ankle when you're looking at that kind of depth argument. And like I th- I think everyone would be in agreement, with you even though it is one of those things that it is a common parlance or common commonly known that you know a uh, an elevated heel allows you to hit depth more easily in terms of if you were to elevate the heel and your knee didn't move any further forward, you would be able to get that, that, that yeah. extra depth. But the fact is it is a three dimensional structure. So your knee going forward doesn't like your, 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 your shin doesn't magically get longer as your knee goes forward. So it has, it has, it has to exactly. drop. So therefore your hips have to go down further as well, you know? But anyway, yes, the deadlift.
0: Yeah. So when it comes to the deadlift, yeah, like generally the consensus is pretty sound here. You want a relatively, uh, a, as flat a sole as you can get, like it's a pretty sound idea. And then like, as you've as you've alluded to there, some people do make that case that, oh, but it works the same muscles. And you see, it, it just doesn't really like, well, it, could, it kind of does, but not to the same degree. The relative contribution of each of the muscles is very different between the squat and the deadlift, especially like if you're talking about like, the quads and the hamstrings. Um, but the reason people, the reason you wouldn't want to squat in weightlifting shoes is essentially twofold because firstly um, you're going to be higher off the ground because your heel, your heel is going to be elevated um, which essentially elevates the, elevates the whole system including your shoulders and takes you further away um, from the bar, which isn't necessarily ideal um, because you actually you, you want to be as close to the ground as you possibly can be during a deadlift because that basically makes it easier because the weight is then higher up your shin and if you elevate your heel you elevate your shin and that's not so good um but the other the other point like i think i think most people know that it's like yeah you want to be close to the ground to deadlift that's a goal but the other thing is that if you are using squat shoes to get down deeper um like to bring your hips down lower then the lower your hips get the less tension you have on the hip extensors then to begin the lift Um, and you don't want to try and squat up a deadlift because it just doesn't end up working too good Um, as soon as the weight gets heavy it's just going to pull you forward and it's not going to be a good time for ever for anyone so the benefit of using um, a flat foot there and maybe not being able to get into those extra mobile positions if you will and um, that you might want in a squat is that like like you don't want that you don't need it in a deadlift you want to be um, on the floor and you want to have your hips a little bit higher because um, everyone's always obsessing over getting the hips as low as possible um, or at least i see that a lot of the time with clients whereas you want them to be high enough that they have ten- that you have tension in your hamstrings your glutes and your adductors so that you can get the weight moving um so so the goal with this the goal with the starting position in a deadlift isn't to replicate any position seen in a squat and the relative contribution of the muscles you know even though you're going to have some quads working in the conventional deadlift um, it's going to be very different to that scene in a squat. And similarly, even though you're going to have some hamstring recruitment during a squat, it's going to be very different to that scene in a deadlift. Um, So the, the consensus there on wearing, you know, flat soles or going barefoot, you know, wearing minimalist shoes, wearing bands, converse, whatever for deadlifting is pretty sound. And I, I don't think there's any sound case for wearing like running shoes or something while deadlifting it's just that's, not a good time. that's
1: very fair um so basically what you're saying is you lose force into the ground uh, to some extent uh you need that extra stability whatever you want to call it uh and then also you're elevating yourself up which then changes the way you pull ascension right um so does that mean that sumo deadlifting is cheating then
0: Sumo deadlifting is always cheating. <laughs>
1: <laughs> but anyway, yeah, no, it doesn't mean sumo deadlifting is cheating. Well, it does, but it doesn't. Um, yeah. <laughs> should, we, should we change our footwear for a conventional deadlift and a sumo deadlift? Because, you know, sumo deadlift is essentially really really well not really really a really wide stance to squat because you're able to stay that much more upright so then does it change it into a squat should we elevate the heels then in that or are we still kind of going with the same thought process as a conventional deadlift and not wanting to increase the the range of motion
0: yeah like i think the, the shoe recommendations just stay the same like i think while a sumo deadlift might look like a squat in the starting position sometimes. If you actually look at what tends to happen during the lift, you'll generally see the hips shoot back or get get back up so that the knees are extended pretty quickly um, and it ends up being a quote-unquote hip hinge type exercise from the top um, because that's that's generally one of the goals in a sumo deadlift. A lot of the time for a lot of lifters is like they want to lock out their knees soon because um, that essentially gives more tension to, or provides Produces more tension in the hamstrings, which allows you to kind of finish the lift. Then, um, so no, I wouldn't change my shoe recommendations for the sumo deadlift.
1: Ideal, right? So they're the only ones that really it matters a huge yeah. extent in terms of like we could argue that the the overhead press, you know, maybe extra stability, uh, more ability to contract the glutes. But at the end of the day, I actually don't think it hugely matters. Uh, but other than that, most of the lifts you're doing, you're not going to be really trying to put a huge amount of force through the legs. Like, obviously, we're, like we're using the squat and the deadlift, but obviously that applies the same thought process to, say, a leg press or a hack squat or any other leg exercises that you're doing, you know, that you're putting force through your, your feet. You know, you want to still think similar lines, like think of, like, what you're trying to achieve, how the ankle is moving, how much force you can put into the the, the carry, the chassis or whatever the fuck, you know. Uh and it, it applies across the board to all those kind of leg exercises that you're doing that right so I don't think we need to discuss them individually right so the next thing we come across is obviously we don't just lift weights in the gym right like obviously if you're doing any of the, the upper body exercises and stuff your footwear doesn't really hugely matter like maybe it matters to an extent uh, but you may be seated you may be you know, in in a, in a machine. So it doesn't make a huge difference how your foot is moving. Right. But obviously we're not just lifting weights in, in, in the gym. We're also doing like cardiovascular work. Right. So this brings into the argument that I thought people had almost settled like 10 years ago, you know, like when it, when it was originally brought up, you know, but apparently it's coming back in vogue now and people are claiming it's new, you know? Uh, and this is the idea of minimalist shoes and running or essentially like, you know, any kind of cardiovascular stuff and minimalist shoes. Right. So what, what's the crack there with that, you know? And then after this, we'll discuss, you know, your, your daily life type shoe (laughs) and what you should be thinking from that. But, Obviously, if we're in the gym, we're probably doing some cardiovascular work as well. You know, you may be going out for a yog in the morning or you might be going out for a yog in the evening or whatever else. Um, what's the story with cardiovascular work and our footwear?
0: Yeah, so this is, although although like this has been a topic that's been debated for a long time, um, it's actually one on which there's sort of no consensus. Well, there is a consensus. Like, the consensus is that the evidence isn't very strong in any particular direction and that recommending footwear that's comfortable is a fairly sound idea (laughs) and there's there's more nuances to it than that but i think that's a, a decent one for the the lay person because like one of the things you'll see in almost every every running shoe shop is like that you go into is that they'll test all these different, you know, characteristics of your foot and give you specific shoes and kind of orthotics even, um, to then, you know, that are specific to you and that this is going to stop you from getting injured and all this sort of stuff. And like, as we mentioned at the beginning, like it's sort of, it sort of doesn't make any sense to take loads and loads and loads of joints and, and muscles that are there to provide movement and then see what position they're in statically and then create a mold and say, right, we're going to hold them in that position because that might be the best position for you when you run. It's like, logically, like, there's a lot of different holes in that sort of reasoning process. And when you actually look at the evidence for a lot of the different features of running shoes, um, like high-tech running shoes, um, the evidence is is very weak at best and absent um, at worst. So... If it's a case that you're looking for running shoes and you're thinking about you know what are the most high tech ones with the most cushioning and all these different features, I wouldn't be getting uh, too caught up in that. At the same time, on the other end of the spectrum, you'll have people that just say, "Oh no, you know minimalist," and even to the point of barefoot. Like some people genuinely do go and running, run barefoot. Um, you know, it has to be minimalist. It has to be five finger shoes or whatever. And you know, that's a big trend that's kind of come and gone and come again. And Again, it's, it's not so simple there either, because like a lot of the time people will make those cases and then you're not thinking about, you know, who you're actually speaking to. So for example, like if you're an ultra runner, let's say, and you run like a hundred K once a month or whatever, if you are used to doing that in a certain pair of shoes, it doesn't matter if it's minimalist going to thick sold or thick sold going to minimalist, um, switching and trying to maintain the same training volume is going to be a pretty bad idea and that is one of the problems that a lot of the research in this area has kind of run into um is is like people changing over to minimalist footwear and then keeping up their training volume or training as normal and without a sort of retraining period and then essentially what happens is you know they start to have discomfort and potentially injury and obviously that's because they've been exposed to something that they weren't previously exposed to and hence it makes it a sort of different different activity because obviously if we if we think about the fact that we talked about all those different muscles all those different joints um the arches etc if you've got all those things there and you've never really moved them and instead you've allowed your you know really expensive ASICs to absorb all of the forces in all of the runs that you've ever done. Like obviously not all of the forces, but you know what I mean? And then you swap over to minimalist shoes and suddenly all these muscles have to do lots of extra work. Those structures are not going to be tolerant of the load that you're trying to expose them to. So there's a a higher chance of you then getting injured. So that, that sort of just makes a lot of sense. And when it comes to like making a perfect recommendation as to what you should wear, I would genuinely go with what, (laughs) what feels most comfortable, but with the caveat that changing every now and then and having some sort of adaptability is probably a good idea for most people. Like for example, if I, I have two different pairs of shoes that I run in, one of them are really flat and one of them are like ASICs and they're, they're really cushioned. And I only started running in them recently. And what I find after a while is that like, just start, my foot just literally feels like, it's, it's, it's kind of cramping in some areas because it's not moving in the way that it used to move because of this big support along the medial arch. And for me, I've got a a supinated foot posture, which is relatively rare, but it means that I've got quite a high medial arch. So if I, if I land down on that normally, um, I got, I get quite a bit, of bit of spring if I do go into pronation, and because that medial arch is essentially, you know, compressing down and then springing back up and that's giving me some extra you know some extra goal when i'm running so that little bit of pronation isn't necessarily a bad thing and if i'm then running in in shoes that aren't actually allowing for that then that basically changes the movement that i'm being exposed to so these are just some some things to think about um but but to be clear i wouldn't necessarily say that Right, you should and have to go in and and run in minimalist shoes, or you should and have to get the most cushion shoes in the market. I think somewhere in the middle is a fairly sound recommendation. Um, and, and not being fearful of going to either end of the spectrum either.
1: Yeah, that that's that's fair enough. Um, yeah, I always think that that whole argument with the the minimalist shoes and running is a bit of a, a, a really, well, I suppose actually not. The argument isn't bad. The the way the research is done is pretty bad in terms of, well, I think they realized that they, what they did at the initially was bad. They basically, you know, like, took people in and were like, yeah, just start running in these. And no one changed their mileage. No one changed. It literally was like, there's no adaptation period, you know? Because uh, I know, like, I've literally worn minimalist shoes since maybe, like, 2011, right? 2012, right? Like, I haven't worn a pair of shoes other than that. Like, I've occasionally put on uh, Converse, you know, like, you know, you're wearing like jeans or whatever. You're like, oh, I'll throw on some Converse. And even Converse are somewhat, like, they're probably the closest you can get to minimalist shoes without being minimalist shoes. You know what I mean? Um, but other than that, like, I think I've worn like actual shoes once in that entire time. Yeah. At my brother's wedding, like I wore shoes, right? First of all, wearing those shoes, having gone from like minimalist shoes, like my feet splay out like really wide, right? Right and putting in them into shoes, like they felt like they were like someone had just wrapped like a load of binding around them. Like they, they stopped feeling like feet. Right. Um, so I actually realized a huge amount that there is a, an adaptation period. Like you can even look at my feet, like they are calloused in certain areas because I walk on them pretty much barefoot. Like I, I have like the, uh, Vivo barefoot at the moment. That's, that's my kind of my brand. um, and, like, I notice, like, I, I jog in them and they're, sorry, sir, Jesus, I said jog, jog in those uh, quite, quite frequently uh, as well. And, like, like I notice, like, I feel so much in my, my calves, right? But even if I put on, like, thicker, like, uh, like, say, ASICs or running shoes, like, I know, I can feel already my mechanics of running completely change. Like, even the way I move around, the way I walk around, completely change, right? So, if I can notice that even in just one change of shoes, m- imagine just trying to go into do your entire, like just changing your shoe and just completely keeping your training the same. You're doing whatever 100K per week, we'll say, and you just go, yeah, okay, cool. I'm just going to swap the shoes. Like your your muscles have to a- a- adapt to that. And like you said, like you, you have certain adaptations based on who you are, excuse me, on who you are as a person, like individually, individually, You have certain adaptations in your foot, you know, certain adaptations in your knee structure, your hip structure, and they could be both adaptations you've acquired through your lifetime, but also adaptations that you're just simply born with, you know, Uh, and that could make minimalist shoes an awful choice for you. And that could also make, you know, a, a thicker running shoe awful for you, you know, but again, it comes back to actually deciding what are you trying to achieve, right? And... The, the, the goal of minimalist shoes is to bring you back to a sort of more natural, quote-unquote, way of moving, right? But you don't, like, if what you're actually trying to do is get re, reclaim the, the strength in your foot, reclaim the ability for your foot to move in that, quote-unquote, natural way, it doesn't mean you have to wear minimalist shoes. Like, it's one method to do that, but like, you can just walk around barefoot at home whenever you're there. You can also do, like, foot strengthening exercises, and and like you can you can physically work on your your intrinsic foot strength, you know. So it, it is one of those things that I think people lose the forest for the trees and kind of get into a more hyped up state, being like, "Oh no, you have to wear minimalist shoes. You have to wear these like uh, like five o barefoot, or you have to wear you know Vibram five fingers." And they're like, "No, deal. You have to wear those." And I'm like, "What? Like, why do I have to wear them? Like, my feet work." They, they, my feet splay out. My, I can lift my toes. I can do all the things that a foot is supposed to be able to do. And again, like as we were saying earlier on, like your foot is adapt. Like humans are adaptable, so this is an arbitrary set point. But if my foot can do all of the things that it's supposed to be able to do, then what does it matter what footwear you actually wear, right? That is my thought process on on that. Now, when it comes to the the cardio side of things like realize that the footwear you wear will influence the adaptations you get, right? So if you are wearing a a thicker, you know, running shoe, like that changes the way you run, right? So if you're just running for I don't know, general cardiovascular health, you know, that might be fine. If you are running to be the most efficient you can possibly run, then you're going to have to assess whether a minimalist shoe is the best option for you or a, a running shoe is the best option for you because again like we we're saying with the research it's not really conclusive in terms of like w- what is the more efficient way to to run is it that forefoot strike or is it that heel strike right and then you have to layer on top of that whether the the injury risk for either of those options is worth what you're trying to achieve you know like humans this this is the argument anyway. Humans aren't designed to heel strike, you know. When you're running, like we're not designed for that, right? But we're also not designed to have, uh, you know, any kind of st- structure underneath the foot. We're supposed to be on the ground, right? So I hate that argument where it's like, oh, we're not designed to heel strike, so that's bad. So you have to wear these minimalist shoes. It's like, well, we're also designed to not have socks. We're also designed to be hairless, you know. So are we designed now? We're we're just limited to our are designed and oh you can't live in a cold environment because humans aren't designed to have uh, clothes so you can only live where it's warm enough for humans to you know walk around naked year-round you know it's, it's a it's, it's a it's a stupid argument overall you know humans are adaptable like we said anyway so you have to look at the trade-offs of that heel if you're heel striking you do have that thick heel to actually support that so that might be enough to offset any issues that you you essentially run into you know but you may want to get some of the adaptations from a a more four foot strike you know you might be able to you know hypertrophy those calves more you know which is definitely true because like i four foot strike and man my calves are absolutely gigantic um but you you have to just think about what you're actually trying to achieve and what what type of shoe is going to get you there in the most safe and efficient manner. But anyway, what are your thoughts on that? In terms of if someone's listening to this, what what should they do? They they're just looking for general health. Should they buy into this minimalist shoe? Is it probably is it a good and easy way for them to kind of work on their more intrinsic foot strength uh, while they just go about their their general day to day you know gym training or whatever uh or are they just better off wearing a running shoe for when they do their kind of cardiovascular work
0: yeah so if like the first thing is like that that whole like heel strike thing like actually go and read the research like if 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 you're big into that all humans aren't supposed to heel strike go and read the research on that and not only that but look at what happened when um, I uh, this is I need to recall this story properly. But as far as I know, in Nike, in Nike, it's, Nike. Nike it's or Athena Nike, Nike. it's the um,
1: goddess Athena, it's Nike. Whoever I, says whoever whoever say says Nike, Nike. should say actually Nike. be executed. It's Athena Nike, it's the goddess Athena. So can we just get this whole Nike stuff out of the way because it makes you look stupid, like actually thick, if you say Nike. It's Nike anyway. Right, Nike, Nike.
0: Um, Nike tried this in their quest for the the two hour marathon. You know, when they essentially tried to engineer every last detail, um, so that they could get someone to run the two hour marathon uh, or sub sub two hour marathon. Basically, they they designed these these shoes that um were like to, to to reduce the weight down as much as possible they basically got rid of the heel as much as possible so that there was only like a four foot like that was where most of the mass was left and like runners were just like no like we're not doing this like this is like we're, this is not comfortable it's not how we run because people actually do use heel strike if you actually like watch people run and i think like i'd it'd be it'd be wrong of me to to try and give you the the perfect conclusive evidence because we actually decided on this podcast like a couple of minutes before so i don't have all the research off the top of my head but as far as i know like heel striking is like six percent more efficient um from a like when you are actually running so using heel strike does tend to be a more efficient running strategy um which does sort of make a lot of sense as well um if you actually look at like how you're how you're absorbing force but anyway yeah, so basically like if you're going to use that argument, you should really look into the details on it um because it's definitely something I would I would like to kind of read up on more because from what I have read, like in running biomechanics and efficiency, et cetera, is not my area of expertise, but it's definitely not that clear cut. And if anything, it's probably the opposite of what people say. So this whole like everyone should four foot strike thing is just not really um, a thing. And also like the whole thing about um like, oh, humans were designed to do this. Like people always use those arguments and those evolutionary arguments are kind of like, they're nice to use, but you also have to recognize that like, We're not just talking about like, all right, what we are all going to do collectively for the good of our species for the future. We're talking about trying to get athletes to perform at their absolute peak. You know, like when when people were were running in the past, um, it, it had a different purpose than a very structured attempt to try and run a marathon at a specific time. So you have to keep those things in mind as well if you're going to use those arguments. Um but anyway, what what were you? Actually-
1: yeah, like put it put it you put it put it in context, like the yeah. first guy that ran a marathon, like the actual Greek guy that ran to marathon, died. Like <laughs> he died. He ran the marathon and he, he died, you know. So if you want to say that's what humans are designed for and that's what you plan to do, you plan on running a marathon and then just dying, fine. Like okay, well, that's what humans are designed to do. You know? <laughs> uh yeah i think that whole, that whole evolutionary argument like i think evolution like looking at things through an evolutionary lens and we're probably going to talk about this at some stage uh, but looking at things through an evolutionary lens uh, if i could speak looking at things through an evolutionary lens is a really good idea but people mistake that and think that evolution is somehow static then you know like they're like oh well humans were designed for this You know, and I'm like, okay, well, first of all, you're like, it it is the common wording. And I think that's the issue. Like people say humans were designed to do this, but the fact that you say designed gives almost this creator has designed us, you know, like this divine creator has designed us. Right. And therefore we're static then. but that's not what we're saying. Like evolution has shaped us towards this is probably a better way to say it because it's a constantly acting force and like it's like these days it's kind of almost seem like i don't know bigoted or racist or whatever but like depending on where you live you have different adaptations you know like if you're white you can't just move to the equator like you couldn't just as a, a as a white person from i don't know a nordic country you couldn't just move to the equator and not expect to have some negative ramifications like you don't have enough melanin in your skin like you would almost certainly get skin cancer unless you used modern technology you know like clothing yeah. <laughs> and uh you know sunscreen and stuff like that to allow you to live in that environment but you would over time adapt like within three four five generations like if you just pick a nordic country or a nordic town and just transpose them to a sub-saharan like africa you know and you just put them there, or even like the Saharan desert, you just put them there, uh, they would adapt over time. Loads of them would die. Loads of them would get like skin cancer and die. But the ones that didn't die would adapt to it. They would get, you know, more tanned and more tanned until they were essentially have enough melanin in their skin. Well, they always have enough melanin. They, they've expressed enough melanin in their skin to actually deal with that, 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 that climate you know so like we are constantly adapting so when people make these arguments being like oh well you know we're not adapted for that it's like okay cool it takes like three four generations for you to be fully adapted not fully adapted but quite adapted to the environment you know so we've been wearing shoes for quite a long time so we are adapted to shoes to some extent that doesn't mean there isn't trade-offs for that adaptation but to say that oh no let's just throw the baby out with the bathwater and just say no you should only wear minimalist shoes like I think it misses misses the point and and that's coming from someone who really enjoys wearing minimalist shoes like I like being able to feel the ground underneath my feet
0: yeah and I also I also think those evolutionary arguments sometimes like when you hear people say them and obviously we use them sometimes too um it can it can lead you down a really dark path like if you actually really extend the thought process because if you're like all right, humans evolved and survived with these specific characteristics it's like all right so if evolution is so important and you're really worried about carrying the best people forward into the future and stuff like you could adopt a totally like eugenic perspective and say that all right we're only going to grant reproductive rights now to the the leanest the strongest and the fittest people on the planet and it's like oh jesus christ like that's that's kind of dark if you start to take it down that path so we won't be doing that but i mean like you, you know you have to kind of think of, think about things in context and think about like what what is what is that thought process like that you're bringing from the past to the present to create mm-hmm. arbitrary standards like what it are you bringing that forward as well and if you do like it like it's like all right this is kind of getting dark
1: but anyway yeah but it wouldn't necessarily it wouldn't necessarily go down that path because that assumes that you know what is best for the environment which isn't always yeah. the case like this is this this is why like uh, guys like, essentially, I don't know if you know, and people listen to this, know a huge amount about genetics. But basically, guys are guinea pigs, right, in terms of the, the evolutionary perspective of uh, humans. And, like, I'm putting humans because other animals use different techniques. But essentially, in humans, we basically go, right, we're going to make the guys have the ent- run the gambit of everything. That's why there's this huge variability in terms of, you know, the, the way men act the way men look there's a huge amount of variability within that right because essentially we're the test dummies we're basically going let's make the all these mutations happen and they'll all happen in guys this is why you see like guys get way more uh genetic abnormalities and stuff than than women right and basically what we're doing is we're making the guys the guinea pigs of the environment and we're not like because evolution doesn't know what is the best? Like there's no guiding force saying like, this is the best way to do it. There's guiding principles. And essentially like life is trying to navigate around those guiding principles. But basically guys are the, the Guinea pigs. And what evolution is doing is saying, right, we're going to give you all these mutations, different mutations the thing, And we're basically going to see what is the most survivable in the environment. Like, you know, maybe that is a, a, an extra fucking, I know, toe or something. And if you have that, and you are more survivable in the environment, you're able to reproduce more and your children who have that mutation then are able to reproduce more because they're more survivable in the environment, et cetera, et cetera, that, you know, that adaptation now becomes dominant in the environment because it's the the most survivable, right? So guys have the, the most, they're basically guinea pigs, right? that's why guys do stupid things as well. Like when they're teenagers and stuff, they're basically just saying to them, basically trying to signal to mates that their, their genes are survivable in the environment. This is why dry gar, guys drive really fast. This is why guys do stupid things like to try and press girls and stuff. But this is also why women are attracted to that quote unquote bad boy, because all he's doing is signaling that his genes are survivable in the environment. And that is attractive to a female they're like hmm, I wouldn't mind reproducing you with someone who has genes that are uh, survivable in the environment you know uh so i don't think it would go down a dark road because we like you don't you like there's no like it would go down a dark road because humans obviously think we know fucking everything but essentially yeah. the environment dictates what's most adaptable in the environment not it, it's not predetermined so you, you you couldn't say something is more beneficial because what happens then is Like you, you want variation because that that leads to evolution Like you want to have variation within a population. Otherwise you end up with what happened to say bananas. Like they have the, they had the Cavendish bananas and they're essentially like, I don't know if you know a huge amount about how bananas are made, but basically they're just genetic clones of one another. (laughs) Like they're not actually like, they don't eat reproduce. Otherwise your bananas would have seeds in them. Like bananas aren't a real, bananas aren't a real fruit, right? They're they're a hybridized fruit, right? And this is, again, people talk about GMOs and stuff. Like It's, it's actually stupid because humans have been doing this for thousands and thousands of years. But anyway, bananas are a hybridized fruit, but uh, they don't have seeds. Like those little tiny little black bits you sometimes get in bananas, they are what used to be seeds, right? So bananas can't reproduce, and they're basically just clones of one another. So they're all the same. Right, there's no genetic variability and we used to have Cavendish bananas which if you ask like older people they used to say like bananas were much tastier back in the day uh, but because they're all the because they're all the exact same all it takes is one disease to target that and because they're all the exact same they, they all get wiped out like that overnight because they have no resistance to it you know that's what happens say sickle cell anemia some people have sickle cell anemia and it's actually, it's a mutation that can be really, really bad, but it also is uh, beneficial in places that have malaria because you know the, the malaria virus now or the whatever the, the whatever thing is called I can't even remember uh, can't get to the sick half sickle celled uh, blood cells. So you you get survivability in malaria environments, you know, and that's just purely through genetic variation. So if you have no genetic variation, then everyone dies. Like there's no you have no resistance to this. You know, so everyone dies like people are people are resistant to AIDS, you know, like people are like oh, AIDS is a terrible virus. Like some people are immune to AIDS, you know, uh, so like st- stuff like that. You you want to have variation. Otherwise, your population would just go extinct, you know. Um, so I think all this, the, like people look at the evolutionary argument and they don't actually understand evolution. So they should stop making the argument, <laughs> you know. <laughs>
0: yeah and like you you also reminded me of another point that I wanted to bring up earlier um was about like you know if, if what, what is it what, what's the phrase again if all you have a all a, all you have is a hammer all you see is nails um like that's basically like that also applies here because like you know if you talk about the evolution stuff like people are very selective in that like if you're into fitness then you talk about all the evolutionary um variables that brought us to things that are related to fitness but you might't focus on lots of different other things related to you know your social interactions your psychology cognitive things etc mm-hmm. but like when we're talking about like oh you know we were we were quote unquote designed to uh have feet that move and have feet that meet these arbitrary standards and hence we should do this and all that and um, you also have to think about like how that how does that apply to everyone as in like if i'm let's say i'm i'm 40 year old sean i'm an accountant um i'm i want to kind of maintain my general health through doing some fitness stuff and just kind of you know provide for my kids and live a good life for the rest of my life um and you come shouting at me being like oh yeah but you know evolution made our feet like this and stuff it's like man I do not give a shit like I don't care you know like people that are within this fitness bubble and people that are probably listening to this to this podcast they probably value some of those things because they're like you know the things I'm interested in are all of the things related to the physical capacity of the human body and any aspect of that, I want to optimize it, whether it's neck strength or the rotational strength of my shoulder, my core strength, all this different stuff. It's like, I really care about all this stuff. I really value it. Um, whereas like, like if, if you're that person, that's fine and that's you and you can make those decisions. But most people don't give a shit. Like most people don't care that their foot was designed to do a certain thing. All they care about is like yeah, like, yeah, they accept that evolution brought them to this point, but they only care about adapting within their environment at this point in time. Like, like essentially just surviving this environment and getting through this environment and doing the things that they actually care about. And most of the time, like foot function doesn't matter to people, you know, and you can create these loose narratives about like, oh, you know, you might have bunions when you're older and you'll regret it. And it's like, man, it's difficult enough to get people to care about or not just care about but adhere to the behaviors required to offset the non-communicable diseases like you know diabetes cancer etc that are like really pressing issues as opposed to like hallux valgus like <laughs> bunions it's like bad people just don't care about that stuff
1: <laughs> yeah 100 percent. Um but anyway so to bring this back on on target so they know when they're lifting there's a few variables that they need to take into account especially with something like the squat or the deadlift or any of the <clears throat> excuse me the lower body lifts where you were trying to put force into the ground essentially or trying to transmit force through the ground and they're aware now of some of the more generalist arguments in terms of what are the choices what are the appropriate choices for cardiovascular footwear you know like basically it's whatever you feel comfortable with in terms of that, you know, like you can make an argument either way. Like I fall on the side of the the minimalist footwear, but as you do your yogging in, you know, runners, uh, I'm going to presume you fall into the, the, the side of the running shoe footwear, you know? And I don't think it matters either side, whatever fucking feels comfortable, like realize that there is trade-offs either way, you know? Uh, And in terms of your daily life then as well, again, realize that there's trade-offs either way. You know, your foot is designed to do certain things. If you put it into a shoe that doesn't allow them to do certain things, you're going to have adaptations towards what you're pushing it towards. And once you realize that and you're happy enough with that, cool. Maybe you realize that and you're not happy enough with that, but you know, your job forces you to have a certain dress code or a certain footwear requirement. That's cool. Just realise that you're now going to have to do stuff to offset those adaptations, and after that, I don't think it really matters, you know. So basically, for most people, don't wear squishy shoes while you're deadlifting uh, or squatting or doing leg exercises. Um, and maybe you need a heel for squats, maybe you don't. Um, other than that, doesn't really fucking matter uh, in terms of your 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 cardiovascular stuff wear running shoes or wear minimalist shoes realize that if you're going to change over to one or the other there's going to be an adaptation period and at the end of the day it doesn't really fucking matter um unless of course it's causing you pain one of them is causing you pain like if you're wearing running shoes and you're constantly getting some common injuries that running shoes lead to then maybe switching to minimalist shoes will help that and again vice versa and in your day-to-day life This is probably where you're going to have to wear certain types of shoes, realize that there's adaptations towards that, realize that you either have to be fine with that, okay with that, or you need to address that, you know, and that you need to work on like some, some sort of foot strengthening protocols, you know, and I've actually done this with quite a few people who have issues training, like people won't, will, will say it's usually related to something like a squat or a deadlift and stuff, you know, where they don't actually have and the, the required foot strength to do them correctly. And this also, you'll see this in like say a lunge or something because the, the balance will be hugely off, right? So doing some actually targeted footwork can be a godsend for those people, can be the thing that make makes or breaks them in terms of their overall training. And again, you will occasionally run into stuff where your your foot mechanics are off and it'll affect your knee, your hip, your shoulder, your neck or whatever. But also that doesn't necessarily mean that it will impact those areas. Is that a fair assessment of the situation with the footwear, Gary?
0: Yes, sir. And look, there's only, there's only one real answer to this, right? You wear minimalist shoes all the time. I don't. And my calves are bigger. So like, I mean make up your own mind yeah, yeah well see this it's Let's a deceptive it a
1: deceptive argument because technically speaking <laughs> technically speaking my calves are actually bigger right because i've a longer i've a, a longer shin right so if we're talking actual like volume of calf muscle like i have more right uh however your calves your your calves <laughs> are by far and away wider
0: <laughs> and more girth Yeah, you
1: have more 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 calf girth and at the end of the day despite what people will tell you girth is all that matters that's it <laughs> uh, do you have anything else left to say to define people i know we have the group coaching is updating this week this week next week somewhere somewhere soon yes monday so new program on monday so this will be out on monday so if you're listening to it get on that hype and um, it's only 50 euro Per month, um, you get your nutrition, you get you get your training program, you get access to us, and yeah, it's it's good fun. It's slowly growing. We obviously only launched that last month. Um, we've got a few in there. Obviously, we would be more than happy to have more people in there. Like our our if I could speak, our online coaching. We're actually we have a few inquiries in, and I think we will be close to full. Then after those, depending on if they actually do go through and purchase uh, because you know obviously not everyone is a perfect fit for what we're offering and but I think our actual online coaching will be quite full over the next while so we probably won't have too many spaces for that and so you were left with the group coaching but as we do still have a few spaces for online coaching if you are interested get in touch ASAP we have a militia as well, obviously, education. If you like what you hear here, there is more content that you're not seeing. It's not free, It is a, a, a paywall. Uh, you can gain access to that through the triage militia. Is there anything else, Gary?
0: You said, yeah, yeah. give away to the right little gentleman. Um, anything else? Nope, nothing else really at the moment, just the, the, and the group coaching one of the things to take note is that uh, we did have a few questions about this actually. Um, basically the way the group coaching runs is it runs on a, f- on a, on a four week uh, subscription. But the caveat to that is that you can join at any time point and you can just slot in and we'll just change the program as it changes. And you can still hop on at any time point. So there's not a specific like take in day or anything like that because we didn't want to be like, Oh, actually it's three weeks until you can join again. Cause like, why bother so you can you can happen at any
1: time point too too easy Um. do you have anything else going on in your life gary at the moment
0: <gasps> nope nope not really that's nope. fair enough it's all it's all simple <coughs> easy.
1: how's your how's your training going i think you're getting pretty juicy these oh no sorry you're actually getting skinnier these days
0: <laughs> it's going good i'm actually the heaviest i've been in a very long time but it's good, like, I'm just I'm just doing loads of, loads of yogging. Yeah, I saw that. Like.
1: I see you doing your daily updates on Instagram, and uh, it appears you're yogging every morning. Do you think that's realistic for most people to do, doing an hour of yog in the morning?
0: Nah, most people don't have the calf girth or the Achilles girth to be able to do it. Uh, but yeah, no, I don't yog every day, but I yog nearly, like, probably, like, four to five times per week currently with varying intensities as well. Um, and I think that's something that has probably, like, been eye-opening to some people because, like, not that I'm a professional yogger or anything like, but lots of people do yog regularly and they don't seem to pay any heed to the fact that you should treat endurance training very much like you should treat resistance training in that you want to manage your efforts well and you don't want to just go and run as far as you can, as fast as you can every day, which is actually what a lot of GA teams or GA players do. Like, and it's not very
1: helpful. Yeah, that's that's very, very fair. You know, there is... Obviously, metrics that you can track, and a lot of people just don't track them. Maybe we might do a podcast on that, or maybe we might do an article on that because there is information on that stuff in the militia. But as we said, there is that paywall which you know people don't like partying with their money, which is you know realistically fair enough. Um, how do you find your yogging impacts your, your resistance training because you're doing a lot of squatting these days?
0: Yeah, I've actually been hitting squatting PRs. Which is tasty enough oh, their PRs. In, but, oh, um,
1: Jesus, I thought they were like warm up sets. You're putting up,
0: I've never I did 145 for four uh, high bar, which I've never done before. So, I only realized I never did. It. You did what? Oh, I was actually PR, I didn't realize. Uh, 145 for four oh, high gosh, bar. Yeah,
1: yeah. yeah, I remember that time I did 140 high bar for uh, 20 reps, but yeah, it's good. <laughs> I don't, I don't remember it. <laughs> There's a video on Instagram, so it's cool fair um, <laughs> but that's triggering i know what'd you say i think i was i think i was not i think i was 90 kilos at the time as well which is only like five kilos heavier than you are now but you know whatever.
0: you were about a 110
1: kilos then you fat bastard shut the fuck up <laughs> uh so can we can we just start having like a squat competition like
0: 100 like
1: I'll, I'll get down i'll diet down to 85 kilos
0: I'll diet down to like 65 and I'll be squatting 160 for 10. No,
1: you're supposed to, we're supposed to do it. We're supposed to meet at the same weight. Fair. I'd have to like chop off my fucking torso to get down to 60 kilos.
0: (laughs) I reckon I have 160 for 10 and then the next year it'd be
1: too easy. That's fair enough. Um, anyway, that's it. Nothing else to add. And that's enough shit talk for everyone. Um, Any final words, Gary? No? It's too easy. All right. It's too easy. All right. Goodbye.